Philadelphia. I'm Joel Embiid. Like, I want the ball. You can use John with anything. You can be like, yo, hey, them Johns is hot. Them, your shoes, you know what I'm saying? So it can mean anything. And welcome to the Fly Zone. We are at episode 17. Our sweet 16, we at 17. Again, the Fly Zone is a Philly centric podcast talking everything sports, news, culture, everything going on in the city from the people for the people. The FUBU, not Carl Kanai. And if you want to check us out on social media, where can they follow us at, Sean? Follow us at the.flyzone on Instagram, on Twitter. You can follow us at the Fly Zone. Super simple, super quick. Tap in. Yep. And we're available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Amazon Podcasts, and we now have a YouTube channel. So we're going to start dropping gems. <laughs> we organize all that out, especially when it comes to the draft ramp up. We'll start doing some kind of little bit of breakdown, a little bit of who are we going to murder if we don't pick right at number six and who. Oh, I don't know exactly who we're going to murder. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even recorded in a little bit, Sean. It's been like a couple, it's been like two weeks. Before everybody got before everybody got GameStop rich, you know. Yo, before you heard about that? That's crazy. I mean, when we missed the GameStop, people got GameStop rich. And say football's coming back out. We didn't we you know, it's been so much. And I also survived my first snowfall with a car. And nobody told me that clearing <laughs> that thing off. Like having to drive in the snow with your car? Your own car? No, because remember it snowed a little bit like a month ago but this was the first time having to clear it off really because it was actually a real downpour out here so i'm sitting there like i had the little you know a little broom i had the little extender thing and i'm like it gotta be something easier than this and apparently it's not it's either you do that or you get a car cover it just it just took like energy oh, <laughs> i was out there you had to do it. oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah exactly i had i got the brush i got one that extends i got what's in the clips off i got i can do like nunchucks and stuff like that i got a suit <laughs> i got all of it and i was just like i'm right here you should have I'm called me. About 30 minutes. It's not out the Lord. <laughs> that is not out the Lord. It's not out the Lord. Then my, this guy came out with a, uh, a car cover. Bam, bam. Zolko, rug curl. So, kept the car cover and the snow came right off. I said, oh, wow. Got his car, warmed it up, and pulled off. <laughs> like, this, ain't must, right. this is what it must feel like to be a Cowboys fan, an like, ultimate loser. Uh, <laughs> he pulled that car, and I'm that sitting there. Analogy, the by the way. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Let's get into the Sixers, the number one team in the Eastern Red Conference, high. the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Everybody is either two and a half games behind us. Yeah. We're going to skip over like, every single game because why would we do that to you guys? So obviously we had we missed the Celtics sweep when we split them without Tatum. We played the Pistons. We split them with split the Pistons game. The one game we didn't have them beat, we got slaughtered. But we're going to get to one of our speak about, and that was the 107-106 win over the Western Conference-leading Los Angeles Lakers, LeBron's own. The Allen Lakers is for losers. LeBron's own team. And, you know, Team LeBron didn't really say much to us that night, Sean. I asked, I asked Team LeBron, of course I said, what's did. going on? Of course they, not. they ain't saying nothing to us. And you know, you know what? why? They never have nothing to say when 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 the, <laughs> when the real kings show up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They come to town, and then B got to let him know, like, oh, cousin, you in my hood. It ain't slow down. Yep. Slow down. Respect it. Yep. Respect it. And again, he got a shoe now. The reason they ain't saying nothing is because Embiid was 28 points, six rebounds. After he suffered a flagrant foul by that foul LeBron shoving his back, Jackson, they couldn't stop him. And I'm going to say this, too. <laughs> that was dirty. That was, that was dirty. Yeah, that was dirty. I'm not a basketball player, but I anybody knows when somebody's in the air, you don't put you don't push somebody in the air. Who knows what's going to happen? You can't control your yep. body. It's in the air. That was dirty. And I was, that shocked me from LeBron. That shocked it was, me. It was two elements to that play that was dirty. LeBron shoved, and if you saw Marcus saw, he was he was standing right underneath where Embiid was falling to. Had Marcus held his ground, he could have caught Embiid or stopped him. Marcus jumps back, so Embiid hits mm-hmm. the ground. See? So you got two scumbags. Now, I, I agree with every analyst that's like, oh, he didn't do it intentionally to mess somebody up. But you just never know. When you show somebody, I don't care what your intention was, it's dirty regardless because you have no idea my impact to the ground. And B was giving them the business. All this hype about Marcus all locking him B down. He was giving him the business. Then the shove came, and it, that's when the game became tight, so to speak. In the same game, Tobias Harris, 24 points, seven rebounds, three assists, and the game winner over the white dream that is Alex Caruso, who shouldn't be in the league. Yo, that, um, and that was that was an excellent call by Doc to get that match. Excellent call, excellent call. Ben excellent. Simmons, 17 points, 11 rebounds, 10 assists, and now they're triple. Double, 
you sit there and we played some teams. We beat Toronto. We beat Boston. It was out Tatum. This was the best win of the season at that point. This, probably down. the best one of the season right now. When you watch that game, you watch him be dominate against the number one team in the West, the number one team in the so-called NBA, the, the actual defending champion. Did that give you in your head confidence to believe we can actually beat the best teams in the NBA? We can actually can go to the finals. We can actually possibly win the finals. What was your confidence level? What did you take from this game? Well, before the game, I felt that way. I felt that way before the game. I felt like we could run with anybody. We can run with anybody. So when they when they beat them, it was just like the exclamation point. Like, oh, okay, I was right. <laughs> I yeah. was right. And honestly, I think that I mean any anybody can win a game on any given day in the NBA because there's so much talent there in the NBA over over on each team. But for them to have to have them come in our house and mm-hmm. to beat them in the way we did at the on the, in the last second shot for Doctor put that play together. It was just beautiful. It was beautiful. And it, I already, like I said, I already was confident in the team. But, yes, it took me to a whole different level. It took me to a whole different yeah. level. Um, I know in a seven-game series, it'll be tight. It'll be tough. I, oh, in any way, shape, or form, I'm saying it would be easy or we got it or we, you know what I mean? But I had the utmost confidence in Doc already, but that really mm-hmm. put a stamp on it. That put the stamp on it to say, like, you can do this with this group against the elite, the elite teams in this league. So, yeah, that, yep. that gave me confidence. But it was how you beat them. We had control of that game, the whole game, until like 45 minutes within the last 15 minutes of the game, it got shaky. Yeah, yeah. We were up 16 points multiple times in this game. It was like they didn't belong on the floor with us at some points of the game. Danny Green hit, hit that major three in the first half, back-to-back. I mean, we collapsed. Obviously, I think our MVP had a lot to do with that collapse because he was dominating, then they shoved him, and then you see after the shove, his point total went down. Everything else went down. I think mm-hmm. if we maintained our rhythm after that fall, they would have got blown the hell out. That's what I'll say. As Absolutely. far as the confidence, of course, because I felt like the way we handled them, uh, LeBron didn't necessarily have an off night. AD didn't really have it. We just, you know, LeBron gave us good numbers. The supporting cast did what they were going to do. Schroeder actually played yeah, really well. Sure. So they actually got help from the supporting cast, and they still couldn't hang with us. They really couldn't. And for Derek Fisher, who said <laughs> after the game, I watched I watched the actual Los Angeles post game of that game. That's because like, I'm automatically in like hater mode. Like that, I know yeah. hate Why on not? Yeah. Why not? Derek Fisher said, "Wait till y'all get to LA. <laughs> Come we, to LA with that." What's the Sixers we record on the road? Last year, bro. We beat exactly. them LA last year. Exactly. We didn't even had a squad. We're not. We're not. First of all, nobody's ducking or scared of LA. Let's get that out the way. At all. Mr. Fisher. They're not in the best team in L.A. Not in the best team in L.A. And I'm going to say this, too. I never said this to nobody. I think right now the Sixers are probably playing the best basketball in the NBA. Statistically, yep. you got the Lakers defensively and nobody's yep. scoring like the Nets right now. But if you think about all facets of the game across the board, yep. and I think this is the reason why. I think that on every other team for, for like a, that's a contender, they have their stars. And after their stars, it's a significant drop-off. It's a significant drop-off. We're playing team ball all across the board. When you look at the stats, it's Embiid, 35. Tobias, 25. Ben, 15. Um, uh, Seth, 17. We're playing team ball. It's not Embiid, 35. Tobias, 25. Ben, 10. Seth, 9. It's, we're not, zero, yeah, and that's how it is with these elite teams, these elite teams, right? So, we, we play, so for that reason alone, to me, we're playing the best basketball in the league. That's the best ball in the league because it's hard to beat team ball because majority of the time, all the game is – Stop the best player, and, and everybody else gonna have to beat us. You're LeBron, you're not. AD, you're not. Let everybody else do yeah. it. We don't play like that. Oh, well, Pope. Yeah. Good we luck. don't. If we having an off night, we got Tobias, who's already contributing. Seth, we got uh, Danny Green, who who shows up when he feels like it. Who's been? He's been all right, though. I'm going to be honest. He's been okay. He's been all right. He's been all right. We got Shake coming off the bench. That is huge. That's huge. Maxi, Maxi and Shake, that guard rotation off the bench. Yeah. yeah so, like, I love it. I, I feel like the confidence we brought in that win propelled us to obviously other ones in the season. We played the Pacers without Embiid. We were down 16 with eight minutes left. Massive game from Harris. Again, 27 points, eight rebounds. Ben Simmons, 21 points, six rebounds, seven assists. Cork Moss, Corky, 17 points, three rebounds, two assists, and the Killers in the fourth. And I'm going to shout out to Dwight Howard for his, his double-double because he had 11 points and 15 massive, massive rebounds. Yes, I and seen there. And duty for Embiid. That was huge. Huge. First one of the season without Embiid. That was huge. And that was massive. We came, we came back down. Showed you how much the Pacers suck. And that's a good team, the Pacers. At home, they're a good team. 
They are. They had everybody they was healthy. It was nobody hurt. That was the a very had, good. The only person they had hurt was Lavert, Karis Lavert. Yeah, he'd been hurt the whole year, so they they've been winning without him. So bonus is a fraud. The next fraud we exposed. We went from exposing AD to exposing the bonus. You saw the bonus had thirty five points on the night. Like yeah, yeah, I seen him. I seen it. <laughs> Everybody, all the big men get exposed when they play the Sixers. You can tell. Yeah, I don't even take account for who the big man is on the other team when they play. I don't know. Who cares? It doesn't matter. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't matter. And you know, that was the game in which the boy, who's the boy? It was Turner. And he was like, oh, if, if I am who I think I am, I want to stop Embiid. <laughs> so now we're Embiid, actually with And Embiid didn't even play, bro. Embiid didn't even play. You fouled out and you had three points. So I guess <laughs> you weren't. Yeah, more fouled than three points. Dwight Howard back in the slam cover, 18-year-old days. Right. You got 15 Look, rebounds on your head. One. 15 rebounds on your head. Now, we both agree that was a great win. Maybe the second, you know, from a, from a motivational standpoint, that's a probably the second, third best win of the season. Now, with that being said, you know, although we won, the team overall has struggled without Embiid, right? That's the yeah. first one we had all year without Embiid. Do you think us struggling with Embiid says more about him being the most valuable person and player in the league? That it just shows that without him, they can't really win. We can't really win. Or does it actually say more about the team's lack of leadership or, I guess, offensive identity when he's not on the floor? I think, it could be both, honestly. Yeah, I was about to say, I think that that both of them are factors. I think that it's more, um, yeah, of like identity crisis. When he's not there, when he's not on the floor, it's like, who are we? What yeah. do, what's the what's the game plan when there's no MB when we can't say we need a bucket throw it down about down throw it down low, who do we go to who's the go to guy who's who's the man the next man up, so I feel like honestly everybody knows this, it should be Ben Simmons and in that game I have to say he did that he had 21 points he had, mm-hmm. I forget his stat line with the rebounds and assists but he I got to say he did that uh, and you know you know firsthand I if Ben I I don't miss no opportunities to trash Ben if it's there like talk about him yeah yeah. So yeah. I think I think we just like we just in the identity not identity crisis, but we need to find our identity when Embiid's not on the floor. Because yeah, it look a little uncomfortable. I say when he's not there, it's like well, okay, I know my role, but who? What do I do? Who do I go to? Am I the guy when we need a bucket? Is Tobias the guy? So I feel like when, once we get that down, we'll we'll be a complete team. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, like I said, it's, it's elements of both in there because I think that that's the point of the MVP, right? If you take LeBron and yeah. the Lakers, they're not winning the game. That's the point of having a superstar. Like, the, they make the case that, I mean, without that player on the floor, it changes so much. So, yeah, it makes a case for him that he is the best player right now as he's playing right now. He's the most valuable player and on in the NBA. Why? Because the number one team in the NBA can't consistently win without him. This is the best team in the NBA, and yep. without him, we're not. So that just shows you that that is the MVP. Period. Now, unlike like when we lost Carson, we lost, we still won. You know, like because we had a great team. Yep. This team relies on that man, and I agree with your identity crisis assessment because one, he does so much rim protection, his offense, the ball screens for Seth. Like we 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 take all that away, and now Seth has to find his shot. Yep. You take all that away, and now you know the. The double teams are gone. So now nobody's on one-on-ones anymore. Everybody has to find their way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we need to figure out. I mean, there's ways to do it, and I trust Doc to do it. We need to figure out who can put the ball on the floor, who can attack, who's going to be aggressive, who's going who's gonna to take over the paint when our big man in the paint is gone. Because yep. I think that's where our solution is, attacking the rim. And that's going to cause the collapse. It's what's going to cause that to be wide open in the corner. Um, and so we'll, we'll get to that. We saw some elements of it. In the Pacers game, we've seen some more elements of it. We Once we get these leads, whether, whether it's a Timberwolves game, the Hornets game of last night, once we start blowing teams out, he starts to sit down. And you can see how much more comfortable we're getting on the floor when he does sit down. That's some, you know, the, the Timberwolves game, he didn't play much of the fourth quarter. Uh, and so I think that's going to come over the time developing. The blowouts will continue because we're going to play the Knicks, of course. We won't play other bums. And so yeah, that will course. develop. And also, yeah, and also I trust you know Doc to do what he's going to do. Like I said, you talk about the Lakers game. He drew up. He's a smart coach. He drove the play to get Tobias on one on one with Caruso. He had no damn chance. The Pacers game. He switched to a zone, 
with the zone got us back into the game. Matisse Yo, had been at the top of that zone. That was beautiful. When he switched to beautiful. the zone, that was beautiful. And it was beautiful. They were active. They weren't like sitting in spots like, "Yo, I that was just that was that was basketball." I was like, "Yo, these niggas are playing basketball now." Yes. Smart, <laughs> intelligent play. And this yeah. and this kind of coaching is what got him Eastern Conference player, I mean, coach of the month. Get coaching brings you all that. And we'll need it. Because there is a showdown coming with the Nets in this in a few days. Um, the last time we saw Please, the Nets, one, the Nets knocked off, knocked off the best team in LA to me, the Clippers of the night, 124-120. Durant had 28 points, Harden 23. He also had 16 assists in that game, Harden. Jesus Christ. And Kyrie had 39. How do you view this impending clash of the Titans on Saturday? How would you say you, you could think of one element to match up with this team? actually thought about this very hard yesterday for like an hour. And I I concluded that I would have to put Simmons on Durant. He's going to do what he's going to do, but I have to match up the height somehow. I have to. You're not going to stop Durant. There's nobody's going to stop him. But I cannot just have him shooting over Danny Green. I'm going yeah. to. And that would just leave, at that point, Seth, obviously, Kyrie, and God bless Danny on James Harden. Uh. This is what I'm going to say. I say you go after the weak link. Defensively, I think Joe Harris is a liability. Absolutely. And I think that's where you, that's where the difference should come in. That's where the difference should come in. You mean max contracted bias? Yes. <laughs> yes. And that's, that's, to me, that's where the difference come, could come in. And they can't stick nobody. They can't. No, they can't play. They're the worst they defensive team in the NBA. Nobody. So, like I said a second ago, well, not a second ago, but when I said earlier, we play team ball, right? So it's not. Uh, so if if Embiid's out the game or Embiid's off or out, which I don't think he will, because they they have nobody who can stick him. No, nobody can stick anybody in Embiid anyway. So when when B is is taking his break from his twenty point quarter, I think that's when you take advantage of Joe Harris. That's when you take advantage yep. of Joe Harris. You make it. You make it hard for him. You be physical with Durant, and there's no way. It's not. It's not even to say like a, a slow anybody down. It's far offensively. They just have too much. They just have yeah, too they're, much. they're superstars. They're, you know, we talked about stars. They're going to get that thirty points. You just got to chalk that up. Yeah, to whatever. yeah. You just got to chalk it up to the game. It's happening. Yeah, it's happening. And that's what you do with good teams. You play Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers going to Aaron Rodgers gonna get his numbers exactly. And so you you allow for Kyrie's twenty five. You allow for you're not going to stop anybody. But you play you play like you said smartly. You attack the paint. You attack their weaknesses. I also feel like it would be a great time if the matchup is Simmons on Durant to like attack him in a sense of getting him in foul trouble. If yep. we can get an aggressive Simmons, who's going to drive to the paint, drive to the lane. Even if you can get this man on three, four, you know, three, four fouls by the end of the game. Like if you attack that physicality, Durant is a really good defender. But mm-hmm. you know, just. Because that's how I watched the Cleveland game. That's exactly how they beat them. They didn't. They weren't afraid to go at the rim. Obviously, Colin Sexton helped, but like they weren't afraid Ooh, to go boy. at the rim. Fire. They weren't afraid to attack them, and that's how you. That's literally how you got to do it. We have the physicality to Bias's strength and B's strength, Ben Simmons's strength. You have to use your assets because you're not going to. That's a finesse team. You're yes. not. Do not play finesse with finesse. Do not match finesse with finesse. You no. punch finesse in the mouth. That's Yo, it. Honestly, um, and this is my true honest feelings. I know who the Nets are. I know, and I'm not taking them. I'm not taking them lightly. But honestly, I don't know if they can run with us in a seven game series. I don't because I mean I, the trade deadline isn't, isn't hasn't come yet, so I don't know if they want to make any more moves or what. But as of right. right today, I don't think they can run with us in the seven game series because number one. You're not going to score 140 to 50 points every single night, right? So somebody's going to have an off game, or you know, or you know, and we, we play really good defense. We play really yeah, good. We're the defense. number one defensive defensive team in the NBA. We play really good defense, so I don't think they played anybody like us yet. I don't think they played anybody like us. No, yet. and they, they definitely haven't played anybody with a, with a dominant center the way we have a dominant big man. They have no, not. No. And so I've, I think they have a disadvantage at. Um, the coaching spot, correct. I don't think they're they're not nearly deep enough. Nope. But in a seven game series, and a seven game series is much different than when anybody can meet anybody on one game. But yeah, in exactly. a seven game series, where you have momentum, where you have 
the you know the the lineup start flushing out when who you are as a team is what you know leads you there. Yep. That's what you have to. That that's that's literally it. And obviously, this is the first matchup of two. And when we play them in the playoffs, with Simon in the Eastern Conference Finals, Most that likely. will be a completely different identity team from either from them and us. So like, yeah, Saturday's sure. game is going down eight o'clock with the prime time Saturday matchup, eight p.m. And we're going to see. That's going to be a game. It up. That is that is the game. Your division, <laughs> your game. conference, Eastern Conference Finals. You know. A little, little like preview that it's going to be built up, and of course, I feel like MB shows up for that kind of stuff. He loves it, and somewhat, somewhat Simmons oh, yeah. too. Simmons in uh, big games. He, you saw when the Lakers game, he came out and attacked LeBron three straight times in the first. I mean, the Lakers game started with Simmons driving three straight times, and I said, "Oh, it's because LeBron." Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So that's what we're going to hope on our, our our talent, our roster, our depth, our stars, and of course, great coaching. And speaking of coaching, the, the Eagles now have one after <laughs> a long, finally weird, winding road of a search. The Philadelphia Eagles hired uh, Nick Sirianni. I mean, at this point, two, two, two yeah, weeks ago, the former Colts offensive coordinator. They drew close. They drew to a close their wildly cast search. Suriana brings his NFL re- resume full of experience. Like his predecessor, Doug Peterson, who won a Super Bowl, by the way, Sirianni has little experience calling plays from the sideline, but he has helped cultivate an improving offense in his three years in Indianapolis. His previous experience includes the Chiefs offensive quality control person, assistant quarterback and receivers coach for them, Chargers offensive quality control, quarterbacks coach, wide receivers. In his three seasons with Indianapolis, with Frank Reich, our old, our old head. <laughs> the 10th ranked offense in 2018, the, the 19th ranked offense in 2019, and the 12th ranked offense in 2020. Through the search, we, we, we looked at the Patriots linebacker, Gerard Mayo, Josh McDaniels from the Patriots, Dennis Allens from the Saints, Deuce Staley, of course, got his interviews, Panthers offensive coordinator, Joe Brady, Brady, Cowboys offensive coordinator Kellen Moore, which probably is still the weird, one of the weirdest names. Bucks defensive yeah. coordinator Todd Bowles, among other. So after all this, Sean, and will they, won't they, who are they doing? It was, it was on the weirdest, I would say, uh, whether it's Bumble or whatever, swiping left and right. We finally swiped right on somebody. <laughs> not matching for whatever and giving up tender. We finally swiped right. What is your thoughts on the Sirianni hire? And do you think, like some people believe, that the hire was completely about trying to fix Carson Wentz or they just wanted to get the best offensive guy they can to bring some young offensive mindset to the team? Uh, I wasn't shocked by the hire. I was not shocked by the hire. I wasn't shocked by the hire because um, I think that the ultimate plan was to get Carson Wentz back to Carson Wentz. Um, I am one of those people who believe that, uh, who knows, well, yeah, Jeff made the decision on Sirianni because he does come from under Frank Wright, not from under him, but they coached together a few years um, before, even before the coach situation. So I figured he got, he probably learned a lot from Frank and he probably figured, you know, Carson had his best season when Frank was our OC. So bring him in. And they, I think he probably it did interview well. He probably did. You know, they, they do like him. I don't think they just got him just because he was under this guy. Um, he probably did interview well. He probably, you know, gave some innovative answers, I'm assuming. But honestly, my 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 true opinion, I thought, I, I assumed that they were probably going a different direction. But I'm not shocked by the hire just because, mm-hmm. you know, I think that the, the plan is to, is to first fix Carson and mm-hmm. to, from there. So, and I think that's, they felt like that. He was the best person that they've interviewed that was going to do that. Be- I, I think it was because he was under Frank Wright. I could be wrong, but I think my per- my personal opinion is because he was under Frank Wright, and Frank Wright uh, had a lot of success with Carson in the past. The year we won the Super Bowl. So that's why I think that. Yeah. And I'm, I, I can't say I'm crazy about it. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not upset about it, but we'll see what happens. That's where I meant with it. We'll see what happens. And I feel like, I feel like he's going to be, 
I'm not saying they hire him for this reason, but I thought he he's because he is so young and has so little experience. Not little experience. He has a lot of experience coaching, but I think he's going to be like a Howie yes man in a sense. I don't think he's not he's not a person who's going to come in and say and you know going to try to run his show or do things his way. He's kind of just going to like fall fall in line. I think he's going to fall in line. Um, coaching wise, I think he's going to do his own thing. But when it comes to like players and well, he already said how he's in charge of picking a fifty three man roster. Uh, so that's that. So I think he's kind of going to be like a hobby yes man in a sense until we can see uh, what he does. Okay, I not surprised by the hire, and the week that they hired him, I kind of felt like that was the guy they were going to hire. I personally don't think that it has anything to do with Carson Wentz. And it has to do with the guy who has the most experience coaching quarterbacks. Like, I don't think it's about necessarily getting Carson Wentz back with the in linear with the offense that he was successful with. Because I don't even think Nick's bringing the Colts offense here, to be honest. You can tell by the coaching staff he's assembled. We're not running that because um, you wouldn't take the guy. You wouldn't take the guy from Florida. You wouldn't take this many college coaches if you're going to run t- basic two tight end West Coast. You're not. Right, yeah. Um, and so I think it was – when you look at those names, Gerard Mayo, Josh McDaniels, Dennis Allen, Kellen Moore, you, you look at Todd Bowles, and you're like, what is what is their quarterback resume? I think they understand they have two value at quarterback, Carson and both Jalen, right? And mm-hmm. you need somebody who can maximize that, period. I think they brought in somebody to maximize the quarterback position, not necessarily Carson Wentz. I think that they know they got talent there on both ends, and they're going to find somebody who's going to pop it so that they can trade one or whatever they want to do. But it was not, like I said, I think it wasn't really about getting him back to the basic two tight end, Doug, like, yeah, um, offense. So I think that who they talked to, it was about who can coach up quarterbacks. And his background, quarterbacks, receivers, coach, quarterbacks, again, quality control. Obviously, Phillip Rivers, he did it with um, uh, Brissett. He's done it. He's, he's, he's handled a huge different amount of quarterbacks. He was at Kansas City with the quarterbacks. So he's done that. And so I think, one, that, that was what this was about. So I kind of feel like with the Carson Wentz thing and the Frank Reich, sometimes people draw, like, linear stuff, correlation when there isn't one. It's in a sense. Oh, it's Frank Wright's guy. Carson's for a year with Frank Wright. So you just assume that's what's going on. Like if I watch somebody come out of that room and they got on sweats, they got a sweatshirt on, they got sneakers, they, they're getting like all that stuff. I'm like, oh, you about to go work out? You about to do something? And they said, no, I'm about to go on the couch. I'm just getting comfortable. <laughs> like sometimes you can think because of the way something appears, that's what's going on here. But I think obviously they didn't bring in other coaches, but the, 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 the list that we just went through who they interviewed – None of those people, I mean, you could say Kellen Moore, what he's done with Dak technically, but the rest of them have no experience developing or helping or assisting in a quarterback's development. None. And so quarterback is the the biggest position in the NFL. You win and lose by that sword, then that's what they wanted to do. And that actually makes sense. That actually makes sense. You could be spot on. That actually makes sense. I mean, uh, thinking thinking about it, None of those coaches do have any really good experience building any quarterback. Yeah. You could say Josh McDaniels with Tebow, but it's Tebow. That wasn't developing him. He sucked. Yeah, about saying Tebow. Said it's, it's bad. It's bad experience. And I, I never thought I never considered we would hire a defensive coach. So I thought the defensive, like with topples or whatever, I, I think that they the, the Eagles or organization believes you win with offense. You you like you win with offense. They believe like the future the NFL, the teams are the teams are in like look at the look at the Super Bowl. The Chiefs defense no shady. So they can't stop anybody really. They win mm-hmm. because they outscore people. Right. That the, the pass rush for the Bucks is good, but the defense overall, like it's led by like Levante Davis, who's really good. But their corners are very young. Their safety is very young. They win because Tom Brady and Mike Evans and everybody are scoring people, and they yep. their defense is good enough to keep people within that limit because they can score at it like that. Yeah. So I think the the organization feels like when you look at the Super Bowls, you look at like you look how people are winning. The Ravens have really good, two really good cornerbacks. They got a good defense. Where are they at right now? On the on the couch. On the couch. They feel like 
offense is the way to go. So when I looked at that, I'm like, they were never really considering Todd Bowles really. I think I think Gerard May was more like picking his bring about the Patriots. And look at the offensive guys left. If you filter out the defensive guys, is people who don't play don't know how to work with quarterbacks except this guy. And I just think that on top of that, they sat there and they watched the NFL. They sat there and they watched, you know, the the you know, you sit there and you're like, okay, McVay is great. He's young. He's energetic. He has a great offense. Kyle Shanahan is great. He's young. He's energetic. He has a good offense. Both look Mike LaFleur, obviously Green Bay, young, energetic. They wanted to catch on to this young, innovative offensive movement. And these like young 40, young 30, these these late 30, young 40s age coaches who were bringing these crazy concepts. I remember watching the Rams playoff games. I forget, I think it was the Packers one. When they came, they did pretty much did a hook and ladder from the three yard line. They they did quick out to Woods and then they tossed it behind and rent Josh Reynolds was behind it and he had a wide butt touchdown. And I said, Oh my God, I wish I had a smack with that play. And I think what they're really saying is that they want somebody who can breathe life into this West Coast rigid nonsense we've been running. And we'll get to the coach other uh, staff hires, but I think that's exactly what's been assembling right here. People who can get people in space, people who have come from schemes who get people in space. A lot of the college element, which I'm actually like, thank God. And not not college, but like spread content. No, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, the Saints run that. Yeah, that's that's not new to the NFL. Yeah. And so I think that they also wanted on the second part of it, a young offensive minded they wanted to have the next McVay in their head we don't know if he won't I, mean, I can't sit here and tell you he's gonna be that because I don't know the guy we'll see football is a lot of projection and then you see and you're like oh this guy sucks yep. but in their heads they wanted the next McVay they went the next Kyle Shanahan they tried that they tried to get Scargnello from Shanahan's offense literally brought him in and he didn't work and so they still want those concepts built in and I think that was the second facet of this hire and that's what you have and if Carson Wentz can run it or Jalen Hurts can run it, great. If they can't, we can flip one of them, and the guy we pick will run it, and we'll still be fine. Yep, that's what I. That's how I see it. And, I, and, no, no, no. and listen, I don't have a problem with that. I'm fine yeah. with that. It, listen, yeah. whatever works. I'm not even. I'm over the fact. I think honestly, I think it's because I'm growing up a little bit. I'm over the fact of being strung out or hung up on players. Yeah, allegiance of like that's my player. Yeah. I got the jersey. I don't care about none of that. I want to. I don't win. care. Whatever. Before it was like before when when McNabb first hit the league, I was like, oh my god, Nick, this is the best nigga since sliced bread. Like I'm getting it. Like I was, and then it was time for him to leave. I knew it was time, but I was like, uh, that personal hole. It wasn't more so about the game. It was more that so that personal hole of like, damn, I like him. Like I mean, I think he's cool. I'm over that. So I'm if, over. It. Yeah, so if it if it works best for the team and the organization for Jalen to become the starter, and he works best in this scheme or this fit with this guy, start him. If if Carson shows up and he's playing well, and start he then start him, and that's it. And that's, that's why it. you have to be whatever. I, we I didn't even put the whole Carson lunch drama and all this stuff every week as a report. I don't care about any of that stuff. Not to get like crazy out there. I just don't care about any of that stuff. Get me to week one. Pit, when you have a starter, until you trade somebody, I don't care. I don't care about one rumor that comes at the locker room. Get me to the get me to week one. Whoever the starter, that's what you're riding with. This soap proper of who's saying what and who wants to leave, I could care less. I I don't know how people spend so much time talking about a quarterback battle of a four win team. It's beyond me. I'm here to just get to training camp, get to week one. Y'all can have that. We suck, so we I don't suck. care. I don't care about if Carson wants wants to go or Jalen was out there, you know, saying he's building towards success. Good for him. I don't care about any of these storylines. That has nothing to do with nothing. When we get the starter, they'll name a starter. That's what we're rocking with. I, like you said about allegiance to players, I have the allegiance to the to the wings on the helmet. That's I'm rocking wins. I'm an Eagles fan. I am not because he's a good guy and he feeds the homeless. Or I saw Jalen gave some family thirty thousand dollars for a house. Good for him. That's that's personal. I'm with whoever our week one starter we rocking. That's it. That's it. That's it. And and that's how and that's how it should be. That's yeah. how it should be. Yeah, I learned that lesson with Dawkins. The last time I cried when the Eagles player was Dawkins. When they traded Dawkins, he went to Denver. We let him go. I cried. I was tearing up. I cried. I was talking about. I'm like, what are we gonna do without Dawkins? I'm crying. I'm call, I'm talking to my brother. What are we gonna do without Dawkins? I ain't. I left my heart in the streets that day. I ain't got. I ain't got no rep. You you already know when we start losing, I take cut this bum. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. 
I'll, I'll straight up go on my social media when you get traded or cut, and I'll follow you. Like it's not—I could care less. I don't care about your I, life no more, your kids. I thought I thought I was the only one that did that. And I thought I was the only person that did stuff like that. social media. I'm following, and it's nothing to me. It is literally the three-year anniversary of Super Bowl Fifty Two today. I'm rocking a Super Bowl T-shirt, and all day long, people, Eagles fans all around the world, have been sharing memories. Of how they were that game, what they felt like, the emotion behind it. This morning, I watched that bro- the broadcast of the sportscasters on live on air. And he announced that we won and how he's losing his mind. And has been like, you know, a great amount of memories and that time watching the game since that time. And a lot of it was <laughs> with alcohol and everything else. When you think back to three years ago, Sean, um, we, was all at your, we was at your apartment and <laughs> watching that game. The emotion behind it, what we lived through our whole lives with the Eagles being bummed and finally doing it. What is your like one of your like, couple of your fondest memories on watching the game, the journey it, it, it took to become a champion three years ago to this day? Three plays. The first play is when Alshon caught that touchdown, that bomb that mm-hmm. them, that first that touchdown. When he caught that, I said, Oh shit, they're gonna make this a game. <laughs> make this a game. That play, of course, the Philly Philly play. Mm-hmm. In the in the brand the Brandon Graham uh, strip sack, the, mm-hmm. and I feel like a lot of people forget about the strip sack because they talk about the the uh, the Philly Philly play so much. Uh, it's a cool name, and it was a nice play. It was probably unexpected. I loved it, but I, I think that Brandon Graham should get a lot of a lot more credit than he does. I feel like Nick Foles and Trey Burton and them they get a lot more credit than Brandon Brandon Graham gets. Got you. Yeah, but that's my to me. If I had to pick one, I would pick the strip sack. Yeah, like they folk got they got a Philly Philly statue. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and Brandon um, Graham ain't got nothing. <laughs> I wanna say I have never been more mentally unstable <laughs> than that moment in my life that watching that game. And I wanna say this as a person, as you know, who has deep diagnosed insomnia, mm-hmm. who there are several days in the week every week that I could be actually crazy if mm-hmm. I'm not sleeping. Yeah. Still, that was the most <laughs> mentally unstable I have ever been in my life. I did not sleep the night before. No, I woke. No, I yeah, I woke up watching the let the Eagles Patriots Bowl from back in the day. So I was like pissed. I actually was pissed off. Then I woke up watching like people hype videos, and knowing that I feel they still scammed us and recorded our practices in the last Super Bowl. So I said these are scumbags, and Tom Brady exactly. sucked. So I I came into your apartment with actual venom, and that's why <laughs> I might I cursed like two people out. In your apartment when the game started, I caught my own brother a bitch. Seriously? I, I think you really, yeah. I caught because I, I think that's when we um. It was like our early early possession up in our first like in the first first down. It was like third and two, and Terrell was like, "Oh, we should run it." And I said, "That's why you're a bitch." <laughs> and that's you should have known then. I was so wired for like anything, and you know because. It's different when you watch the Super Bowl party because you got people there who, who like just want to hang out. They're not yeah. Eagles fans, and mm-hmm. so like I'm just like lasered in. So I want to say the first play that got me maybe back to planet Earth was actually that first down play because I had so much pent up. Yeah. This is a this is Bill Belichick's defense. Nick Foles is going to get a first down. They're going to be able to do anything, and then to have it be that first it was third and seven, whatever. And Alshon gets the Eric roll off the ground. And he's he's silent. He throws the ball, and he goes. Right. And I said, "Yeah, well, we here." And, and Eric used like, to be an eagle. Yeah, you got to line up against us. I, all my plays are not even like signature plays. My next play was a Legarrette Blunt run before the Alshon Je- Jeffrey touchdown. Mm-hmm. Legarrette Blunt run 30, 30 yards down the sideline, mm-hmm. running, 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 and he gets the side and watch Bradham the way Bradham had lost his mind throwing a towel. Fuck that! Like, <laughs> I was like, "Fuck yeah!" <laughs> like. The watch Bradham go so crazy. Like, and I love Bradham. I love. I still all love Bradham to this day. He, he talks shit. He talks so much shit. And so to watch Bradham just lose it, I'm like hell yeah. <laughs> and then you know, I want to say the actual play where I was like, these bums not fucking with us. It was the McLeod suplex. I even McLeod suplex. Jenkins taking out Brandon. Cooks. Taking out Brandon Cooks. What? <laughs> Like, get these exactly. No, no but I like the I like the Rodney McLeod drawing because I think that was on third down. Yeah, that, that, that first one's the field goal. And yeah. then he stood on top of me. Like, stop playing with me. We came out you to meet. Four. 
we came out to Meek, and then we just became killers. And we came out to Meek, and McLeod dragged him down. And then in the next drive, Brandon Cooks, he still ain't. I'm telling you, Brandon Cooks has not been the same since that moment in his life. Nope. He has not been the same. <laughs> nope. He has not been the same. And I so remember the, emo- that the emotion of just training camps we went through, the emotion of losses, playoff losses, McNabb. Uh, it was just to watch it finally come together. And I'm telling you, in that moment, I'll ask you. After the strip sack, we get the field goal, which was still a huge field goal. I'm telling you, Jake, people, Absolutely. even with your Brandon Graham reference, that was a 46-yard field goal he had to make. If you don't make it, like, that was not a give me. It was 46 yards, and he nailed it down the middle. And so after that, I still was on some, I don't know if we won this game. It's Tom Brady. <laughs> and so to me, obviously, is after the strip. Like, that was the longest, that was the longest I feel like, one minute of my life to bless. That was the longest. When the when the last play of the game was over, I didn't even know it was over. I'm like, I'm still like locked in with my mental helmet on, and they like they're like this, and I'm like, like what's, what down is it? What <laughs> and then it was just how like, how much left? And then I, I I lost it. I don't even I don't remember much of that day. Um, I, I remember snapping. I remember saying we get downtown. I FaceTimed my dad. I told him how I loved him, like I, I like won the war or something. I love you guys. <laughs> like I won a lottery. <laughs> like we got in the car. We went downtown. We was on top of cars. We was taking meek. You pour champagne down my face with the, the, the ski yes, goggles on the it. Goggles on, yes. And it was just like everything that they told you it would be. The, it was really a monkey. It was off our backs. Yo, literally the next day, I remember texting my brother. He was asking me about how how I felt, and I responded. I said, "I can finally start, like you know, caring about what I'm doing myself." Yeah, like that was my life. I'm like, "Yo, we don't have a Super Bowl. Like winning the Super Bowl is all I ever wanted. And, like I was like I'm on a team. That's all I mm-hmm. wanted. I'm like from a, I, 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 want my, I want at. my team, dog. I'm, then when we lost in 04, I cried. I know." I cried. My dad laughs at me to this day. He keeps calling me a sucker every time he talks. But he's like, "You're a sucker." He was, yeah. The nigga said you crying. So listen, I was hurt. Our life, bro. That was our life. Like I was every hurt. Trade, every draft that like, we we picked through every crevice of every. Dog, into this do team. you remember when we was younger and we used to go out to them hot ass training camps, dog? Yeah. I thought like, we like, worked for it too. I thought we put time in for this. Time in, bro. We put time in, and so the the habit being that moment. To win it. I literally, that morning, that next morning, I literally sat in my bed. I, I woke, as soon as I woke up, you know how some, well, maybe you don't. Sometimes I wake up, I might go back to sleep. I woke up, I didn't even check the time. I don't know what time it was. Cut on ESPN, of course. First thing I did. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. As they're talking about it, I didn't even know I was crying. I, yeah, I cried. <laughs> I didn't even know. Day. I'm the like, next day I'm, I'm balling. I still, I still can get emotional watching, like, the NFL films, like I have the YouTube playlist of all like the broadcasts, the interviews after the game, and like you know they do the America's game. I can still get emotional just like thinking about because you just really think about all of it, like all the totality of it, the whole totality of like losing and how invested you you have to be because like we said before, like a fan base in this town, like you're born, like it's just your life. It's the tradition. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's it's all it's it like is. It's all there them, is. But I kind of we need more. We need more. They, we need more, we, plenty more. We need more, and hopefully, Nick Sirianni, if it ain't Nick, we somebody else, can bring us that victory. Because listen, that was I'm a day. Dying for another one. That was a day. That was a day. That was a maybe, day. And maybe, a half. Get a, maybe we get a Sixers one. Maybe we get a Sixers one too. I would love nothing more than a summer championship parade, a June listen. championship parade. Oh my god, Candace, what are they going to do with us? <laughs> do with us. Bro. If the Sixers get a championship, that's over. What are they going to do with us? A summer championship parade. It's eighty degrees outside, eighty-five degrees out here. Dog, what are they going to do with us? Cardio. They can't do nothing. Honestly, Embiid will be so drunk that. Day. Yo, Embiid will be on his ass. Exactly. So I already know. Shit. And he be coming out. And he be at parties, clubs. He be all over the place. Trashed everybody, calling everybody because he, he he's trying to be humble. He 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 ain't been trash talking as much this year. If he was mm-hmm. to get a ring. A mountain times tell somebody they suck to their face. <laughs> Remember 
last year he was like talking about he's like first of all he's a nobody <laughs> like yeah like, first of all he's no like, so all we can hope for like we said to wrap up the sports six of the guys doing going down Nick Sirianni and his young his young guns are in we got the young guns out here in the coaching staff young brother guns young brother <laughs> and, guns young black guns we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna. I can't wait to have a black D back corner coordinator. Just to have one of these quarterbacks suck to have a, a real nigga over there. Like, what the fuck are you doing? You're right. What the fuck is you doing? <laughs> you need that kind of. You need that kind of like belligerent. Yeah. You need to be afraid. You need to be like, oh, like yeah. look what Ben Simmons. I was ben about to say, look how Ben has been only once in the ball. <laughs> so there we go. And so that's the wrap of the sports. Once we're always going to finish with the bulletin board, with the latest news going on in the city. And so you know, like like I mentioned before. We did have a blizzard. We had this. We had a little snow, snow stuff. Brought the snow bunnies out, but also brought the snow. And one of the the main traditions that happens in this city, one of the main things that happens in a snow day, is that people go out there. And I know you've seen it, Sean. They put chairs out there. They put cones out there. They reserve the parking spot in the snow. This is a main Philadelphia thing. I didn't. Today I picked my mom up from work and mm-hmm. was coming back. It was a chair and a cone. Sorry, right. <laughs> I'm sorry. What's going on? You when when did the the street become private property? Exactly. Get that out of there. Move that. I'm I'm moving all cones. I'm moving all chairs, and and come knock on my door. We so we can talk about it. Come knock on my door because I'm not moving. Is, aren't you? Aren't you afraid that if you move somebody's cone, they're gonna retaliate against you, like slash your tires or something? I got full coverage. Let's do it. <laughs> wow. Let's do it. You on the wild side. You on the wild side. Yeah, let's do it. Wow. And, and, and we all out here. We neighbors. Like ain't, ain't like I'm not gonna know it was you. <laughs> like I, I know who I know who to go to. Let's figure this out. I'm not because I did, and I'm I think I'm so against that because I I've lived in the city for so long and I've seen it happen so much and it always mm-hmm. irritated me. It always did. It was like, why are you putting homes out there? I've never everybody does that on on the block. I never do it. I'm not going to do it because I feel it's, it's just so corny. You don't own the street right. off the pavement. That is public property. Put a secure a spot for yourself unless you're handicapped. You're not handicapped. I'm moving the cone. It's out of there. I'm moving it. The only people that if you want, if you want a reserved spot, go get a house with a driveway or go Seriously. get with a, move with a somewhere with a garage. And there's been several several creative ways people have done it. Many Philadelphia neighborhoods. When they're trying to create a parking space, a guy, um, he put a T-shirt over a chair and said, do not park here or it'll be war down there at like uh, 40th and Market up there in West Philly. People may make creative signs to like and creative ways to hold these spots. Apparently, like Michonne said, they, they actually said you can call the police yeah. and report these spot savers because it's actually illegal and people will be fine for doing so. I don't know if you're going to call A funny story about that. One day I was coming out the house and it was like a cop walking up the block and she was saying she it was a it was a white lady. She said, "Do you know who these people are? We putting these cones out." I said, "I don't know them personally, but I know they live on the you know they live on the block." She said, "Could you tell them to stop doing that?" No. Mm. <laughs> I, right, like they're not going to listen to me. <laughs> you're the cop. Knock on some. You're the cop. Like you do your job. Exactly. I'm like, they, why would they listen to me? Like, who am I? Like, no, I'm not going to do that. And she's like, well, if you just see him, you know, I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Like, no, if you see him. If you, exactly. I'm not doing that. Paid to do it. I'm not working for free for you. Like, <laughs> exactly. I don't work for the city. Personally, I never had to encounter it. I I guess what you said, I don't believe in it. Yeah, me neither. But I would never do what you do, which is to, yeah. like, remove a cone. Oh, I'm going to yes. be disgruntled and drive around the neighborhood and find a spot. No. I'm be pissed off. I, I can't. I can't because a lot of times I come in the house late, push pushing midnight. I'm not. I'm not driving around. A, it ain't spots. It's none except that one where you have your cone. It's out. Not <laughs> out of there. I'm moving it. You're, you're rejecting that cone. It yeah, I'm. A, I'm. A, I'm an avid cone mover. Listen. Don't bring no cones around, Sean. Don't bring. Don't put a. Please. Don't put a sign out there. Don't make a T-shirt. It's, it'll be war because apparently for Sean, it will be war. Yeah, we can go to war. But <laughs> I tell, I got full coverage. Let's do it. We can do it. Speaking of cars. It is we're we're alerting you to keep your head on a swivel because apparently it is carjack season in twenty twenty one. The Philadelphia police are saying carjackings have jumped dramatically since the start of twenty twenty one. As of Tuesday morning, the city has reported nearly sixty vehicle carjacking robberies. It's only been like a month and a day, a couple of days into the year, people. And you already got the sixty. In twenty twenty there were four, over four hundred carjacking incidents. 
last week a grandmother battling cancer was beaten pepper sprayed and carjacked in south philadelphia surveillance of the u.s showed the seven year 78 year old woman walking two blocks where she was attacked after leaving her cancer treatments listen people you're disgusting what? <laughs> That's disgusting. The seven-year-old, eight-year-old grandmother who left her cancer treatment. She, I watched it. She goes to her car. She said that she went down to look at her tire because she thought it was wrong with her tire. And they attacked her. They pepper sprayed in her face and then beat her and then took her car. You pepper sprayed her and then beat her? What's the point of that? Yeah. Beat her for? First of all, she's a seven. You said 70 or 78? 78. She's, seven, she's 80 years old. What do you, you didn't have to touch her. You probably scared her to death. People's crazy. I mean, you know, my, the crazy thing is, um, my dad brought this up to me before I even saw in the article. He told me yesterday I was going to CVS to get a prescription. He was like, "Yo, keep your head in a swimmer because I heard carjacks are up." And then I go on like NBC Philly, and it was the first thing that came up was carjackings. And I'm like, "Oh, so this like really, really, really keep your head on a swivel." Yeah, that's crazy. jobs are down. It's a pandemic. People are there's obviously you know when the economy is down, crime is up. That's yeah. just the true thing. That's what it is. People have been at work for over a year. Um, there's a pandemic, and so not just for your car, keep your head in a swivel at all times. You live Seriously. in a big city, it's highly populated, and and never and think, so- never think it can't be you. Don't think it can be you. Somebody seventy eight years old come out of. I mean. <laughs> God, God. Who was the who was the basketball player guys chain stolen or something like that? The car like it, like. No, it was like years ago. Oh, I think it was I'm like Marbury. Marbury. People think it can't be you. It, you can be you, and you're a star. Yeah, that's why Jay said, "Run up on me at the light, you could lose your life." <laughs> <The> light. <laughs> yeah, like what's going on out here? I tripping. Speaking of panties and the pandemic, the Philadelphia's teaching union says buildings are not safe for occupancy, setting the stage for a showdown ahead of the scheduled return to classroom for some staffers next Monday. On Wednesday night, which is last night, Philadelphia Federation of Teachers President Jerry Jordan said he called the city to appoint a third-party mediator to arbitrate the dispute any options between the school district and the union. And Jordan says the teachers are concerned about the ventilation issues in the school district's buildings. They don't have functioning HVAC system. The district the, the district is currently installing over a thousand window fans in classrooms to increase air flow, which it does nothing, by the way, scientifically proven. Something that has drawn public outcry. On Thursday, which is today, 119 school district nurses in Philadelphia released a letter calling to the district to delay the reopening buildings until the school-based staff are vaccinated. And this has been a thing going around the actual country. I saw that, like in Chicago, they were like, they told teachers, if you don't come in, we're going to cut off your access to tele, like to home learning. So they won't be able to log in and teach the classes, which means you won't get a paycheck. I'm about to say, so you can't then, Yeah, so what happens is the teacher said, if you do it, we're going to strike all of us. And so if you penalize one, they're going, we're going to strike. And once they did that, the school board had to come to agreement and say, okay, we're going to, we're not going to, they, they're not going back to in-home class learning at all. So this is not just obviously Philadelphia. The push to try to get kids back in the classroom versus the safety and security has been a, has been a light, like a whole massive conversation nationwide. Philly, they're at a stalemate at this point. The teachers union is saying, we want a mediator. We're not coming back into this whole thing. This beats over. You've got the nurses union, which is the nurses for all the schools, saying, we're not coming back in there at all and until we, the kids are vaccinated, and we are. So essentially, when you think about it, the school district doesn't have, that's like Chicago. You're at an impasse. You don't have any power. You can't force teachers into the building. You're not going to have any, you're not going to have nurses. If they all, they're all in union and decide, like Chicago did, if you penalize one, you lose all of us. What can you do? What Chicago did, which is say, okay, stay there behind that home. What can you do? Those and I saw images of those wood planked ventilators that they're going to put in the windows with the fans. That is nothing. That's going to scientifically do nothing. I saw the images of that on like um, ABC Philly. It's like a wood plank with a circular fan in the middle of it, and it's supposed to increase circulation in the Philly classrooms. That's that. There's there's no scientific reasoning. That that does anything with COVID. I don't. What a waste of money! And you could have, you could have got air filters for if you're going to spend money on that. I just don't understand why they're even trying to do it. What's the? Where is the point of rushing people back in the building? Besides, they, the belief, the belief is that because kids are at home learning, I don't know the numbers of it. I would love to. Well, I could probably. I'll probably look into it because I'm. I've been curious about a lot of statistics during the pandemic. But the belief is that because kids are at home, depending on the age group, some parents have to stay home who could be going back into work because their kids can't be left alone 
So they feel like if you get the kids back into school, the parents can go back to work and it resolves two problems. The problem, but you don't, you can't do it safely. That's what so I'm, they're exactly. That's the, like, what's the point of getting people back to work if they're going to die? What's the point of getting kids back to classes that they're going to die? Uh, or, or have severe, you know, whether you talk about the actual ramifications of a young person getting it. Young people have died from this. They've already proven that even when you get it, let's say they, you know, the, you're not going to potentially not die because of the age group, long-term effects in your lungs and your heart, they're going to, we, we don't know the ramifications of, and you also don't know how any one person reacts to the virus. For as much as people saying people under 25 or 35, their reaction was ever, there haven't been kids that died because you just have no idea. So on their heads, they're like, we're trying to get back to some semblance of normalcy. We're reopening restaurants. We've reopened the museums. We reopen this. And ultimately, parents who have kids that are like six or seven, like uh, you can't, you're not, they care, whatever. <clears throat> they have to stay home with their kids. The reality is, y'all need to let that go. Yeah. Because nobody's going to work anyway. Because my school is reopening. Actually, in a couple of weeks, I'm not going. Mm-hmm. I, I wanna, yeah. Like, and I'll, I'll take care of my 80 year old grandmother. So, am I supposed to come in the building every day and come back to home with her yeah. and, and put her at risk because of what? Because y'all want to, yeah, like, no, nah, it's, it's not worth it. And they've shown schools like obviously in the Southern Belt, Georgia, Alabama's, who have opened, they closed very quickly. I think that, I think it was in Memphis, like, they opened for a week. They had five deaths the week after that. So they had to close. <laughs> um, obviously, the Southern Belt has different how they do the mask is different, but they had to close after a week. They had five people die, literally. And so, until you can find a safe way, until you can, until if people who want to get vaccinated, they can get vaccinated or whatever. They can maybe see some herd immunity. You don't have a really an argument for forcing people to go back into school because if one kid dies. If one kid passes it to their grandparents and they're like, it's not worth it. One death is too much to me that well, that you can yes, avoid it. Yes. So at this point, the fly zone is on the side of these unions. Hold the line. Force the school, Philadelphia school district's hand. Don't go back in there to nobody's little circle of fan on a wooden plank. And they're going to tell you it's going to save life. It will not save a life. That does nothing. No. Uh, what a joke. For, what a joke. For us, they want, they said, uh, because the, the kids can't sit in the lunchroom anymore. Oh, we're just going to take all the kids outside. They have lunch outside. What? Yeah. It's February. Exactly. <laughs> what? What? I'm not. How you went to the point of that, the weather, and also how can you control that as far as like being outside of elements that can trip and fall like this? It makes no sense. It makes no sense. It makes no, they're literally like, they're reaching, they're reaching. And it's not there, but they're still reaching. Yeah. And so the, it's more or less they don't have a plan. They still don't have they, and this is this is them like obviously randomly just trying to when you don't have an organized plan, you say dumb stuff like let's open the schools back up in a week or two when we're at the contamination is as high as it's ever been. Yeah, make it make sense. It makes no sense. When there's still four thousand people a day dying in this country from it, four thousand people a day, more people than than Pearl Harbor and nine eleven and all that combined a day die, and you're saying let's go back to school, make it make some sense. I can't. <laughs> um, but thinking of making sense and, and everything else, it is in fact Black History Month. It Shout is. out to us! Shout out to Black us! History. Shout out to you! And there are several things in the in the city of Philadelphia you can get into. Make this make the start and actually the most of Black History by going through. There's a lot of Philadelphia museums running programs. The Philadelphia Academy of Fine Arts is running an exhibit of 75 works of African American artists on view through April 4th. The Museum of American Revolution displays papers of african-american soldiers in the revolutionary war we had to fight the white man's war to not even be free shout out to uh, not even be free <laughs> he fought the white man's war to be free from britain so they can enslave you and make and they can make their own money off of slavery and so george washington can take your teeth anyway <laughs> new york arts philadelphia New York Arts Philadelphia is offering guided tours of public art representing black icons throughout the city. So New York Arts the whole month and obviously beyond. And like they have a great program. I've been in several tours of New York Arts. They're going to be doing a lot of the, like I said, they have seven murals of black icons in the city. And every Sunday throughout the month, and I think it's actually something during the week, they'll be doing tours of street art featuring black icons in the city every Sunday. 
street art tours. If you can layer up, put on a hoodie, put on a scarf, and want to walk around and see some street art buff, black Philadelphians, go for it. Yeah, that's dope. Um, there will be... You can buy a black. There will be an indigenous and people of color and black virtual feminist flea market this week. Also, uh, the Black Star Film Festival, which happens in the city every year, will be hosting the Black Star Live, a talking show with journalist, journalist Jenna Weatham, the National Constitution Center's groundbreaking exhibit, post-constitutional war amendments. It's also available online anytime. So it's just the, the city of Philadelphia. They're in the, in the area. As you know, it's a major city, the first capital of America. Tons of black history in this city. Tons to do. So you can look into that as far as that. And like I said, I was going to talk about a pop-up going on, but honestly, just stay behind home. We still in the panty. Yeah, stay home, man. <laughs> stay home. It ain't, it ain't, it's still not worth it. If you want to go somewhere that's open, look it up yourself. We're not telling you. <laughs> Figure it <laughs> I out. I think the whole thing at the bulletin board. So that's the bulletin board. Sean said your your chairs and your parking lot signs are not safe. People run it over. It's not happening. Nope. He has full coverage. Take touch his car if you want to. Yep. There has been a rise in carjackings. Head on your swivels. Head on the swivels. The Philadelphia School District. Shame when you're trying to reopen. Shame you trying to bring people people back in. Shame here. on you. Four thousand a day. Shame, yeah. shame I did it in, uh, to Cersei and Game of Thrones. I would. <laughs> and Black History Month events at the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. Again, seventy-five African American artists on view. Mural Arts is doing the Black Arts Mural Tour every Sunday. There will be the National Constitution Center has posts of award amendments on. And several other institutions in the city celebrating the rich culture history that is blackness. Every black, every month is black history. Shout out to us. Year. So that is the rundown. The nuts. We see you Saturday. Saturday, baby. Uh, Nick Sirianni. What's up? Good luck. Parking lot, carjacks, school reopenings. No way. Black History Month. Play the sounds of blackness. Buy black. Buy black. Get back. Get black. Be black, get back. I'm one of your hosts, Candace McLean. I'm joined with Deshaun the Connect Carter. That's episode 17, people. Stay safe. Peace.